in life, we have a lot of questions about decision-making. And I think as Christians, this is something that comes up a lot for us. We, we wonder, do I take this job or do I take that job? If you're maybe a little bit younger, you ask, do I ask this girl out? Or do I do my homework? Or something like that. And one of the problems that we run into is that the scriptures don't really offer a solution to every individual problem. And so what we're left to do is to try to find principles for life, right? How can we be guided generally through biblical principles? And this is going to require a lot of wisdom throughout our lives. Dr. Collins at Covenant Seminary defined wisdom as skill in the art of godly living. In other words, wisdom is being good at living life the way that God designed it to be lived. That's going to include things like uh, knowing. You're going to have to know things like the scriptures, but ultimately it's a lot more than knowing. Wisdom applies the right knowledge to life, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning Often for us in the West, I think what we, we, what we think, we might not say it, but what we think is that we're kind of brains on sticks that just hop around, you know, and we just think about stuff and we, we rationalize and that's how we live. We're just little computers. But the reality is that we can't simply gather enough information to change. Um, there, there has to be something to bridge the gap from the things that we know to the things that we do. And that's what wisdom is, and that's what we're going to talk about. How do we bridge the gap? What does it look like? Our passage for today is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' kind of coming out party, if you will. He has this huge sermon. There's thousands of people listening. And he's speaking to a primarily Jewish crowd. And what that means is that they know the Old Testament law very, very well. And so what you'll find in this sermon is that he's trying to explain what is the law really. And what he says is that it's a lot more than the letter itself. We're going to have to look beyond the letter to find principles, to find God's character. What does he want for us? And we need to build the practice of looking beyond the letter as well if we're going to grow. And so this sermon is going to focus on big picture principles. Uh, And my hope is that as we walk away, we will have a shift in mindset in the way that we do everything. Uh, Big goal, I know. Um, But really, it is a mindset. It's kind of a disposition toward life and toward the scriptures. I think ideally... This might be the introduction to a sermon on Proverbs or something like that, but hopefully it'll whet your appetite to God's law and God's wisdom found in Proverbs and elsewhere as well. So let's look at the text today and we'll get moving. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Father, as we listen to your word, as, as we try to sort through life, and what does it mean for us to build our lives on the rock? Lord, I pray that you would take your scriptures and apply them to our hearts, to our lives, to our actions as we move forward this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to focus primarily on the first half of this text simply because it's just a positive and negative example of what happens in terms of where you build your life. And the first thing we're going to see is that, uh, so if you take notes, point one is that wisdom listens to the truth. Look back at verse 24. Jesus begins the parable by saying that everyone who hears these words and does them will be wise. We're going to get to, and he does them in a moment. What does, what does that look like as well? But first, wisdom requires us to listen to God's words. And I mean to truly listen, right? This is more than reading the Bible. It's more than coming to church. The scriptures speak very often of having ears, but not hearing. And this can be people who sit in church and hear sermons and read the Bible at home You see what God's Word says, but you don't understand. You hear, but you're not really hearing. The other day, and almost every day, I I say something like this, Noel, go get a diaper, and go get your PJ, and we're going to put you to bed. And so the other day, she runs into her room, and this this happens every day. (laughs) And she came back, and she said, Look, Dad, I brushed my hair. And I found my crown. Read this book to me. And I'm like, Noel, <laughs> you know, go, go back in your room. And it's, sometimes this happens three or four times. And eventually she's like, Dad, you do it. <laughs> so, so there we are. Um, and it's really sweet. She's not really trying to be obstinate. She's three years old. You know, she gets distracted. She goes in and she's like, that's my favorite tiara. I got to wear it. My dad's going to love it, you know. Uh, but you know, the reality is that we do this too, right? So it's not as cute when we do it. When we, when we read the scriptures, it says, pray for your enemies, love those who persecute you, and we grumble and we slander and we gossip. I think there are some people who, who kind of ignore God's words simply because they hate God. Right, And I think that's obvious. It's like, okay, they don't like God. He says something and they say, no, no, I don't like you. I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. But many of us, and myself included at times, we, we hear what God is saying and we don't want to do the hard work of what does it mean if I apply this to my life. We don't want to listen really well. But we're called to think through issues and figure out the truth. We're called to think And I think 
one of my fears is that this sermon will feel like I'm heaping up a burden, and hopefully by the end of this, we'll see that that's not what I'm intending to do, and that's not what Jesus is intending to do. We're going to get to this in a little bit, but we will need to be reminded regularly that God's way of living is the best way of living because he invented life, right? And so when, when God says, life works better if you do this, um, we shouldn't view that as a burden. Does that make sense? And truly, it ought to ease our burdens. It also needs to be said that this is for people who know God. Um, if, you, if you're here and you, and you don't know the Lord, you don't have a relationship with, them, with him, uh, it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel like, well, how am I supposed to do all of that? Um, and I understand. But this is for God's children, right? So how do we get from simply hearing to listening? Point two is that wisdom applies the truth. This is going to be found in really the whole passage, uh, so I'm, I'm simply going to summarize. Jesus doesn't stop at telling the crowds, hear my words. He says that those who hear my words and do them, they will be like the wise man. By the way, Jesus says that only those who do what he says are building on the rock, and that's, that's kind of the point of his story. When Luke writes about this same sermon, he includes the introduction uh, that's actually found elsewhere in this chapter, too. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? If that's familiar, it's because it's about, you know, four verses up from our passage right here. Jesus says that many will come to him at the judgment and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? And he'll respond, away from me, for I never knew you. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that applying Jesus' words, listening to him and then doing what he says, will gain for us God's approval. We can't do that. The better way to maybe rephrase it for us today is, if you're applying my words to your life, then that's a good indicator that you already love me. So a few, a few paragraphs before this passage, there's the talk of a good tree bearing good fruit and a bad tree bearing bad fruit. So maybe that's uh, categories that will be helpful because the fruit that is born, if it's healthy, is because the tree is a good tree. It doesn't make it a good tree. At the same time, I don't want to minimize the, ne the necessity for obedience. I think a lot of times... We're like, oh, okay, so good tree comes from a good tree, uh, good fruit comes from a good tree, and we and we don't want to try to earn God's favor, and we end up not doing anything. <laughs> and so that's why. This is why we can't we can't hear the truth, without applying it, because because a good tree will bear good fruit. There was a Nobel Prize winning physicist who is a professor at Florida State University, and if you know me, this is going to be a painful story for me to tell. Go Knowles. Dr. John Schreifer went to prison a few years back because he was in California on one of these, you know, winding highways, driving over a hundred miles an hour. 
He's a, a physics teacher. Um, this, this drive ended up in a car accident, as you might imagine, and he ended up killing a man and injuring seven others. He was driving with a suspended license with nine prior speeding tickets. The shock in this story isn't that a person would do this. People do dumb things. We do dumb things. <laughs> Somehow the shock isn't even that somebody associated with Florida State do this. The great shock is that this is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. <laughs> In other words, he knew better. Physics. His foolishness is an absolute crime in every imaginable way. During the court case, the judge said that the tragedy of this case is that you're a bright man who has made great contributions to society. It's a puzzle why you decided to drive high-performance cars at great speeds on public highways. It is, indeed. And so this is where we see maybe gathering enough knowledge isn't going to be enough. Maybe there's something in between what I know and what I do. So wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. As I've mentioned before, wisdom acts. Wisdom is for life. And as we kind of um, laugh at and are in a sort of terrible awe of Dr. Schreifer's foolishness, we should consider the gap in our own knowledge and our own actions as well. For example, we know that we ought to bear each other's burdens but we don't confess our weaknesses and our sins. We don't ask others to do the same. We know that we shouldn't judge others based on what we can see, but uh, that's, that's what we do all day, right? We know that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, the good news of what God has done, and we keep silent. Obtaining knowledge is a good thing. It's good to know that we should bear each other's burdens. But this cannot be divorced from the, the real-world implications. And so as we read the scriptures and as we uh, hear the scriptures, we need to constantly be asking, how can I apply this to my life today? Or better, how will I, with God's help, apply this today? And that's what I meant when I said that this is kind of a mindset shift in the way that we view life and the way that we view the scriptures. It takes work, asking questions and thinking really, really hard. Maybe sometimes, if you don't have time, it's going to mean reading a short passage and just thinking about it all day, moving, moving from reading the passage to brushing your teeth, and you're just you're thinking, well, how, how in the world does that mean anything to me, <laughs> Right? Let me give an example, and I think that this might be helpful. Maybe you read Exodus 23, 19. 23, 19 always remember, reminds me of Monsters Incorporated, because that's like the 23, 19. If, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. But he had a sock on him, so it's a big deal. Maybe you read Exodus 23, 19. It says, 
you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And you think, done. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> that was easy. Give me another one. Well, let's remember, though, that God's law teaches us something about who God is. Every single one of his laws is for a reason. So then we, we take another step back and we say, okay, <laughs> what is God concerned with? What is he doing here? Maybe if you read this, maybe you need to write it down and just consider, consider the message all day. You think about, you break it into parts. Okay, so there's a mother, her milk, the young goat. What's going on? Why the mother's milk? Why not goat's milk, right? Well, if you ask enough questions, maybe you think, well, a mother's milk is to nourish and give life to her child, right? That's what it's for. And so maybe this law is about taking something designed for nourishment and life and using it for death and destruction. We do that. Maybe we can't check that one off the list. We do that with theology. You, you, you meet someone and meet, you meet a friend and you say, oh my goodness, I heard you lost your mother. Well, God is sovereign. It'll be fine. Right? We've all heard that. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. You have cancer? It's all right. Don't worry about it. God's good, right? You know, these are life-giving truths in their right context. These are good things that we need to know. We need to know God is good, that he's in control. He loves us. But there are other scriptures we should remember, too. Maybe we should weep with those who weep, you know? And so this is an example of the way that we can see a scripture and just move right past it. And it means nothing to our lives because we're not slowing down and asking tough questions. What does this mean? What could it mean? In this case, we can get from boiling a goat in its mother's milk to bearing one another's burdens by asking questions of the text, you know, weeping with those who weep. Sometimes the application is going to be less clear, but this is just an example over time, point three, is that wisdom builds a life. This is from verse uh, 24 and 25, again, just the first half of the passage. It says, as the rain falls and the flood rises and the winds blow their hardest, the winds don't fall or the house doesn't fall. We might... We might hear this and wonder, well, what exactly is a life built by wisdom? What does it even look like? How do I do it? The first thing that needs to be said is that Jesus is the only one who did it perfectly. And so if, if you're going to move out from here and think, everything has to be perfectly applied to my life right now, <laughs> you, that's when it starts to feel like a burden because it's too much. Jesus was knowledgeable from a young age. He impressed the the Pharisees and the scribes when he was a child, but he, he applied it perfectly. And I think what happens a lot of times is that we read the Old Testament or even the New Testament and we stop somewhere like this. It says, 
Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. And we might say, oh, this, this call to righteousness is a good thing. And only God, only Jesus can be perfectly righteous. So our job is simply to trust in his perfection on our behalf. Right? We do that all the time. That's true. All of those things are true. Christ is perfectly holy, and we fail. But is that where we're left? Is we're left just thinking about, oh, well, we fail. Oh, well, just trust him. I don't think so. I think that we're allowed to stumble after Christ in his wake as he sets the example. Think of it like this. We're God's children, right? We learn Hopefully we learn today. We fail in practice. We confess, God, I failed. We ask God, we ask our friends, our, our families to help us do better. We try to implement change. We improve, but we fail again and again. This is us every day. We're children. We're learning to walk. And we're falling down. We're being helped by our Father. Maybe we take another step that time. And then we fall over backwards. <laughs> We've lost ground. But God loves us. Our Father loves us. He continues to help us up, to strengthen us, to walk in His ways. We're not gaining His approval. Our Father loves us. I love Noel even when, even when she doesn't get me her diaper. Over time, over a life, this cycle of failure, confession, restoration, over and over again, it results in growth. It results in a fortified life. Trials, as we could call these things, they will confirm the sturdiness of a building. You don't really know how strong a structure is until it's been tested. And that's why in the story, they don't just build houses and then eventually one you know, sinks into the sand. But trials come on both, on both houses. And the image used by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15 is really helpful. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, on the other hand, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the judgment day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so what Paul is saying here is that everyone is building a house. We're all building a life. Everyone's work will be tested. The rain comes down on both houses. But if your foundation is Jesus, you'll last. There's a reward if he's your foundation. 
And the encouragement here is that whatever you build, if your foundation is Christ, you do get a reward. But there's also kind of a a push and an admonition. Paul is saying, build with good materials. Do lasting things. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. And I think that I often, I think that we often build with straw. We, uh, maybe we complain or gossip or uh, watch 19 hours of Netflix over the weekend, you know, spring break 2019. But God is patient with us. He's good to us. As we stumble after him, trying to be like our father, he helps us up. He restores us. And he says, try again. Try again. This is good for you. So, let us do the hard work of listening to God's word, applying it to our lives, and living life the way that God designed it to be lived. Let's be like the wise man. He not only heard the words of Christ, but he did them. Knowledge is useful, but wisdom acts. Wisdom is for life. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that in Christ you have not only gone before us to show us the way that life ought to be lived, but in Christ you've forgiven our failures. You've made it right when we rebel against you, when we forget to bring you our diaper. Lord, you're good to us. You're patient with us. And I thank you for that, Lord. I I pray for all of us that we would have this mindset every day, that we would read your scriptures And just be asking you, teach us what to do and help us to do it, Lord. Thank you that your word gives us principles for all of life. Every decision we'll ever make. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.